0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Friday, February 11th, 2022. Here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. We've got, we're in the middle of a bunch of stuff, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is... We're in the middle of migrating podcast hosting platforms. In fact, the flip was switched. The switch was flipped (laughs) yesterday, I believe. Yes. So I think it's working right. I haven't gotten emails from folks yet. I looked at my own podcatcher of choice, and it looked like everything was going fine. But should you find yourself with a double download or something unusual happening, that's probably why it should work itself out over the course of a couple weeks, but... Um, if you have anything really persistent that's bothering you, podcast at com, and we'd like to know about that so we can get the show to people who want to listen to it, uh, but also, you know, um, see what else is, is going on and see if there's anything on the end we need to fix. But Jen Northington's been working real, real hard on that, so I think everything looks knock on um, technology wood here. Everything looks fine there as well. Uh, let's do – actually, let's do a sponsor break, and then we'll come back and do some other stuff
0: today's episode is brought to you by tour books so if you are a fan of epic fantasy if you're a fan of scott lynch and or joe abercrombie but you want something a little different you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess then the silver blood promise by james logan is for you in its academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan gordova's life is in shambles all he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So are you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Saffrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish golden age during a time of high stakes, political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive. Even the help of Guillen Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So, The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now, and like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at lebardugothefamiliar.com, and thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs>
1: also want to check out, uh, well, why don't you take the the, the merch stuff? You did this, oh, so yeah. why don't you tell people what's available there?
2: Yeah, my one of the hats that I wear around the Good Ship Book Riot is what sort of stuff can we sell to our audience? What's interesting merchandise? Whatever. And we were talking about what everybody's talking about lately, which is the viral word game Wordle. And it'll, I'm sure you're all going to be like shocked to know that when you get a couple dozen book nerds together in a work slack, it gets a little competitive about how folks are doing on a word game. Uh, But it led to let's make some Wordle inspired merchandise. So that is what we did. We've got t shirts and coffee mugs and tote bags, and there's a hoodie. Um, And all of it is laid out to look Wordle inspired, but with book related words in the grid. Uh, So if you know you know if you're playing it you'll recognize it you can check that out at bookriot.com slash merch it'll be available through February maybe partially uh, into March but that's limited edition I personally really love the like camp cup looking coffee mug it's Mm. white with black lining and a black handle there's just something like old fashioned and lovely about it Um, yeah enjoy your wordle inspired gear bookriot.com slash merch before it becomes too big for us to all you know, say that we were on at the beginning.
1: Are you playing? Are you into it? Um, oh. I, I want to be, be nice to people. Rebecca, that's what I am. Oh, yeah? I'm a nice person. Uh uh-huh.
2: You're nice. Uh-huh. You're so not going to yuck anybody's I, yum.
1: I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. It's fine. <laughs> I'm glad people are enjoying it. Congratulations to them.
2: I'm enjoying it because it becomes a thing in my house each day of like, did you do the Wordle today? And Bob and I are competitive, as I'm Uh, sure is not a surprise surprise. to you. So it's I enjoy it if I got it in three and he's like sitting in his chair in the corner being like, oh my gosh, I only have one left.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) I hope people... I mean, it's been a while. I remember... For a while, everyone was playing Words with Friends, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that those days? And I, I'm do. Sure some I do, I do remember those but there days. There was a while where a lot of us had multiple games going at the same time. Fun to play Scrabble uh, knockoffs with other people. Get a word thing from time to time. I, my my preferred one is the New York Times spelling bee game. I play that oh. from time to time, mm-hmm. which is fun. Um, but only every now and again. As someone who's done a lot of this stuff over time, I don't find it very rewarding. It's like kind of fun, but so you got it in three congratulations i I don't know what to tell you i mean i I don't know what to say
2: yeah i am a devoted new york times crossword puzzler yeah um and i like wordle as like a little daily Mm -hmm. add-in i guess but i can also feel that um it's probably going to be a limited run this is a limited engagement in my entertainment life but i'm a lifelong i'm I'm devoted to the crossword
1: I mean, I've also, I mean, it's basically the lightest possible video game craze you could have. And I've lived through almost all mm. of the real video game craze in my life, you know, the Pac-Mans, the Tetris's, the Super Mario Brothers. And it seems like the biggest thing in the world. And it's super important. And then it goes away and then it's not. So it, it's, is, there's a very yeah. plague of locust quality. Too,
2: yeah. This is the thing about happen. working on the internet, I think, is that you can get excited a little bit, but then you also are like, it's not going to last that long because nothing lasts that long.
1: Yes, right everything's impermanent
2: they believe in yeah. nothing they are not buddhists.
1: On, wordle. <laughs> uh, buddhists
2: on wordle you know like it's such a fad right now that um i can't remember which one it was but one of the travel things that amanda nelson and i both read created a knockoff called air portal that is it's three letters and you're trying to guess the airport code like one of the global uh, airport codes <laughs> it's quite clever
1: and also talk about people that yuck people's yum that write the algorithms for the perfect Wordle strategy. It's like, that's not what we're doing here, people. I understand. Yeah, no. I, I hear you. That's not what we want.
2: I feel you. I'm a little bit of an agent of chaos in my Wordle approach.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's fun, not rational. That's what we're yes. doing here. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see how long it lasts. I mean, shouts to the guy who made it and sold it. I mean, talk about striking while the iron yes, is hot. Yes. Good for him. Um, good good for you. I'm glad it took off. Uh Speaking of things that are t- t- taking off, Glory was on the show last week, and she had something up her sleeve that, of course, she's waiting, and they're mm-hmm. doing a the whole thing. So we can't be that mad. But I can be a little – I mean, not mad, but it's a little too bad we didn't have her on a week later. She's doing a series with Live Right that mm-hmm. it sounds like – is she an editor? She's cross-proming. Here, this is super interesting to me because we have – well, Glory, it's cool. Glad to see her doing it. But this is different than an influencer getting a book deal. I think, mm-hmm. is this the first influencer we've seen getting a, an imprint that's not like oh. a celebrity kind of person, like a Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah. Tony um. Bourdain, Roxanne Gay? This is like this <clears throat> bottom up. And I'm only saying that because we're there too, right? We'd be kind of a mm-hmm. bottom up person rather than a top down. I think this is the first like influencer. Because I don't think Gloria would say, would she? I don't know that she would take that badly, but. Instagram was a platform, and by definition, yeah. if Instagram's your major platform, I'd say you're an influencer first. Is that fair? I think
2: so. I don't think she intended to become an influencer, but I do think that that's what happened, and she certainly is right. very influential now. I, I think you're right that she's the first person who's not a celebrity that we've seen get functionally get their own imprint. So what she'll be doing is I think, c- curating functionally um, to. Yeah. Books each year through Live Right, which is an imprint of Norton. So this is like an imprint of an imprint uh, that will publish debut fiction by women and non-binary authors, focusing on people of color and traditionally underrepresented voices. So like right in line with the mission and the work that she's doing with Well Read Black Girl already. I think that this is the smartest one of these that I've seen that recognizes. Like she's already an excellent curator. <laughs> she's already excellent at surfacing books and drawing people's attention to them. She has an audience that trusts her. And I don't know what the folks at Live Right were thinking when they got into this partnership, other than Glory Edom is smart and interesting and cool, and <laughs> we want to work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's this is a case where, like, it doesn't matter if the readers recognize the brand Well-Read Black Girl. I would love to see really great marketing done around that. I think it has the potential to have a lot of uh, wide reach, but that these will be well-curated titles that she wants to bring out into you know give these folks a chance give them a platform get their voices out into the world and it's a really smart way for a publisher who's looking to have more diverse voices in their pipeline to go to someone who's already a trusted curator of those voices and who has the connections and is already paying attention and doing this work so I think it's Going to be interesting. Of course, we'll never know. You know, like what percentage of Glory's existing yeah. audience buys any of these books? How effective is this as a marketing tool? But in terms of working with an influencer or a celebrity as a curator of literary work, she's probably the most qualified that we've seen.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the kind of the same question where we've asked about Well, actually, I don't know if that's – I'm wrong. Um, Zibby Owens, who does Busy Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, I think is the name of the show, has an imprint now. So we talked about her before. So that was the first one um, that I can remember. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be curious to see. I don't know what the history of – and we've talked about this around and abouts kind of way. This is when we need a little birdie or some kind of book to be written about it. But, like, what's the best example of a celebrity imprint going well? Like, which one's Mm -hmm. worked and what does worked mean? What is the value over replacement imprint, right? Like, what what was the <laughs> value add there? How much is the name brand, or the, um, uh, I, I guess just the the, yeah, the, the, the 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 glitter that comes along with having a shiny name that people know, and they leverage that halo effect to say, oh, they they made they helped make this thing. I'm gonna go pick it up. I've never seen a story about how sjp's imprint is going gangbusters or tony Mm -hmm. bourdain's maybe they did maybe they don't i've just never seen it and then if you're a really big influencer you do your book club thing and restyle you start doing promo ads with google's whatever in a car and you kind of go one bigger than an imprint right so it's like this middle ground where especially Mm -hmm. live right which is exactly could you be more mid list, which is great. I think mid list is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I read a lot of mid list. In fact, if I could only pick one <laughs> list to read, it would be mid Same. for the rest of my yes.
2: life. Mid list for life.
1: <laughs> mid list for life. Show title. But it, but this this seems like a place where the stakes are probably pretty low, which means that Glory doesn't have to have Reese, Oprah, Jenna, Hager, you know, that kind of yeah. juice you know, to, to make I'm, a difference.
2: I would love to hear Glory and somebody from Live Right talk about getting where this deal came from and getting into it like what's the most appealing thing to live right of working with somebody who has the kind of platform and influence like glory is it they that they think that the well-read black girl brand will help sell books is it that she's a great curator and they want to work with her like what what is the appeal i think the most successful book we've seen from a celebrity imprint has to be somebody's daughter by Ashley C. Ford which was on the Oprah books imprint of Flatiron. Yeah, flat iron and but that book is bananas good it had an enormous marketing budget and really well deserved publicity and just rave reviews all the way around you know, including from us so note I have no mm-hmm. shade for how successful <laughs> no. that book was at all I'm thrilled. thrilled for Ashley yeah absolutely thrilled by it and I don't think that much of that success was due to having been an Oprah book like, or and most of that is just that readers don't pay attention to imprints. If, if anybody's paying attention, it's because she got some publicity connected to Oprah. I think there were like maybe some Instagram posts from Oprah that advertised the book and that gets some um, attention. So it might be a similar kind of hope at Live Right that Glory's audience will have some built in buyers for some of these books. But what percentage of the pie of the whole decision was that? And what what is just more about having somebody who knows this landscape really well help you curate material for your publisher.
1: The other thing, too, is that Glory has really focused, as she said on the show as well, about getting writers involved mm-hmm. and helping connect dots. And mm-hmm. that might be another piece is there's open admissions uh, submissions. We'll put um, a link in the show notes if you or someone you know has a manuscript or the idea of a manuscript work in progress or just find it motivating to start working on something that's another place where glory is connected in a way that some other people aren't as well Is there's a lot of people, especially, um, black people, mm-hmm. people of color, non-binary, a lot of them probably already know about glory, probably follower. And so this is a way of seeding the submissions pipeline. Where can we get, yeah. work and live right, go and find people, find manuscripts yes. as part yes. of this ongoing effort to get more people into the ecosystem. I think mm-hmm. this is more of a two way connection, right? This is mm-hmm. getting in earlier, um, and maybe that is another, may, could even be the preponderance of the value chain is that you're getting more submissions and finding voices that wouldn't find you as a live right otherwise. Because um, I don't know yeah, that it's, it's, is it particularly well known for being open to submissions by debut authors of color? Don't know. I wouldn't have thought about it naturally, but then what would I have thought naturally? So it's mm-hmm. hard
2: to say. Yeah, they, you know. Live Right publishes Nicole Dennis Bin, and they've had her, I believe, yeah. since her debut. She's one of the authors whose name checked here. They do have some authors of color that they've published debuts with, notably like this imprint that Glory's doing. Like most imprints at, at traditional publishers, is only looking at submissions from authors with agents, but I, like, and that's a constraint that exists. And you can have whatever commentary you might right. want to have about that around that that level of gatekeeping in publishing. But that's a really normal, common constraint that exists. But I think you're on to something there that like agents send books on submission to editors that they think are likely to want to spend money on those books. And if you are an agent representing a female or non-binary author of color who has a debut work and you're like casting around the publishing landscape looking for where am I going to send this on submission? What do I think, where do I think it's likely to land and be well taken care of? It matters to have imprints that are run by people like glory with missions like this, where you're not going into any sort of unknown situation where somebody at right. that imprint might be like, oh, we already have an author of color on our list this year, mm. or or maybe thinks that the audience is limited to people of color because the book is buyer about a person of color. And that's changing in publishing, but it still has a long way to go. I think those are very real concerns that agents who are representing authors of color are navigating. And so just the presence of more imprints that are specifically targeting bringing more of these voices to the stage is really really wonderful and it's just hard to think of somebody better than glory to be working with one of them
1: i think it also could be a competitive advantage too i mean the the market for books um by black people especially i'd say we talked about with glory last time how many great young authors there Mm -hmm. are and there's more of a demand than there's ever been on the publishing side to pick up titles so maybe Live Right might be thinking, if I'm competing with, okay, they're not gonna be competing with Riverhead, probably, let's just say, that's one. But if you're competing with uh, Gray Wolf, maybe, sure. right, for a title, and one is you can come do Gray Wolf things, or I'll come with, or Algonquin, yeah, that's even a better example. You go with Algonquin, or you're gonna go with Live right, and you've got the glory thing, mm-hmm. that might win. If you're the, the agent's gonna say, you have something built in that you don't necessarily with Algonquin, Algonquin's very good. They've yes. had hits. They can make good books, but do they have someone who's going to promote your book um, and that's been building a platform for ten years, and specifically to, and for, and about writers like you? That would be very compelling mm-hmm. uh, as as an, uh, a new author or any author, frankly. So, and mm-hmm. I don't know about again. You and I know everyone who listens to the show knows we would love to be on the fly in the wall in the Oprah Book Club. <laughs> I don't know how CIA operation. I, I don't know what kind of deals are made. Does does Ashley know when she signs with Flatiron that she's gonna is that part of the pitch? You know what I'm getting at? Like I don't know how mm-hmm. this works. Um I can imagine if that's something that it is known, or at least a possibility even, that's gotta be a huge advantage. Yes. And so this is something similar, um, without at a different scale. And that's Great. And we should have mm-hmm. all the skills all the yeah. time.
2: Really exciting.
1: Okay. So that. Glory kept a weird, good secret. She did. She did. She she knew. She's like, these chumps are too small time to <laughs> let this particular cat out of the bag. Speaking of influencers doing stuff, this is not a person I know. Strombolus? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Apple S- is starting. Strombolopolis. Strombolopolis. Strambul, that is <laughs> I've got to say, George Strombolopoulos. That is, a, that is a name that looks like a parody of a Greek name. S T R O mm-hmm. U uh, M B O U L O P O U L O S, Strombolopolis, Someone working on the Apple Music team as an editor had a uh, host of the Apple Music Hits Show stream radio station. I don't even know what kind of a content delivery shoot that is but whatever it's on there um apparently is got into reading welcome to the club especially during covid was talking with friends said something to someone at apple and they're going to make a book club out of it called strombos lit weirdly specific for the trillion dollar apple company on the other hand you've got that many moving parts who cares so i don't know what to think of this okay letterman style something or nothing nothing nothing
2: Nothing. No. The, Who's going to listen? Headline... Those people that like Strombo? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, the TechCrunch piece, the headline, Apple launches its own book club, Strombo's lit in the Apple Books app. And I think the way it appeared, I think you were the one who dropped it on our company Slack. Mm-hmm. I saw like Apple launches book club and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I kind of got into the details after I clicked into it. I was like, okay, it's not, this is not the Apple book club. You know, like, so the headline is a little misleading. If it were the Apple book club, this would be a really confusing choice of host of a personality to anchor to it. This, I think the way you described it is more accurate. This person does some stuff with Apple and likes books. And Apple, it seems like, was basically like, why not?
3: Fine. Um, <laughs>
2: like, we have the benefit of having some staff in Canada. And of yes. them, two of the four even knew who this person was. So this is not... Pretty good. I don't a, yeah, I, I guess. Um, For Canada, I don't know. <laughs> this is not a, like... This doesn't look to me like a play that Apple is making to, like, no. make some giant inroad into the book-reading audience by putting a celebrity in charge of a book club. The This is such a jerky kind of question to ask, but I'm going to ask it. The real question I have about this is like, why is this even interesting enough to get a headline on its own? Um.
1: <laughs> Can I take a crack at that? I'll, I'll maybe take a crack at that. Is sure. that Apple historically, and even in their, in their modern version about content, is really, really careful That's about true. giving people a face... And a thing on their platforms, right? Like you look at who they're doing business with on the Apple TV side, like unimpeach. Like we start with Tom Hanks, Rebecca. Like we're Mm -hmm. Marsha Ali. We're looking. You know, it's gold-plated, unimpeachable. No one's going to get anyone to trouble because the last thing Apple needs is is Joe Rogan trouble. I'm I'm not joking about this. Right, right, right. They don't want any. That they don't want to touch that with a ten foot pole. So they probably have to feel pretty good about this fella. Um, also the stakes are probably pretty low. It does seem to me like it's just something he wanted to do and he'll take a yeah. crack and probably will last a while and then goes away, why not? But even the why not, Apple saying why not is kind of a new weird thing to do, to put his name on a thing that's in the Apple Books app. I think that's kind. Yes. Of, that's why I put it in there because I thought that was very, it was more unusual than Apple's Here's Our Book Club app because it kind yeah, of, if, you know, that makes sense. But. If
2: that had been the angle of the coverage it would have just made a lot of sense to me look at apple doing this thing that apple doesn't historically do um i guess like fine go i hope it works out for you george strombolopoulos like my real unvarnished take was like the first pick is a neil stevenson book and i thought i already have the whole internet full of middle-aged men talking about neil stevenson Uh, books (laughs) Like,
1: why yeah, maybe do we Reddit need... need... Reddit needed its own book club. They can go... <laughs> Reddit Books can go check it out. They didn't, like, no shade, but this is not something okay. like... This is a weird... It's not an unusual kind of a if you're, take.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if you're trying to be innovative, this doesn't look like the way that you would do it, but Apple is not trying to be innovative here. Apple is playing it pretty safe. Playing it safe. And and this Someone already known, works for
1: us. We can yeah, fire them. You know. Right.
2: This person's a known quantity... They're. I would guess they're probably doing some like double checking of what title he wants to cover and yeah. talk about and how yeah. risque can it be and how risque can your discussion be and all of those other things and I mean okay
1: fine okay and I also when Apple does release their main flagship book podcast if it's not named core curriculum I'm gonna throw a <laughs> I'm just gonna have a real problem with that <laughs> they can have that for free just do it.
2: We should roll out a podcast called Core Curriculum before they can get to it, just to yes, that's park right. ourselves just to, on that spot. We, that
1: could be, that's a real early 2000s move on our part, to do some URL <laughs> squatting for the world's largest company in anticipation of their theoretical Pod. book club, <laughs> book podcast that literally will not even be a rounding error in a Divisions <laughs> quarterly report.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Core anyway. curriculum. I just acknowledge the genius of Core Curriculum. I see you Thank and you
1: appreciate much. you. Mm-hmm. S- speaking of geniuses looking to be acknowledged, we get more. <laughs> we get more backstory. I'm not even all the way through this article, yeah, so I, I can't really speak all the wild. way through because it it's super long and great about our boy, <laughs> Filippo <laughs> Bar- Bernardini, reported by Reeves Weideman, but also sounds. I'm now interested in the TikTok because it sounds like um, Wideman and Lila Shapiro, who was on an episode of Annotated, who I follow, you should follow, Reader stuff on Vulture, mm-hmm. often writes about world of books and publishing. They were on the hunt, Rebecca Shinsky. They, they were emailing this dude, and he threatened them.
2: <laughs> Not a good dude. And I think I want to compliment your segue game, but I don't think we want to call this guy a genius. <laughs> That.
1: Wanting to be recognized as a genius. Notably, yes, yes, yeah. This that. is
2: this is a long and wonderful piece. I mean, the TLDR is: folks are digging into who Filippo Bernardini is. He has been yeah. to court a couple of times now over having allegedly spent more than half a decade, like stealing manuscripts and impersonating publishing professionals in like also half a dozen languages, and. No one knows why, like Mm -hmm. there is still no evidence of any benefit, any personal gain from having done it. He didn't blackmail anybody. He didn't appear to, it doesn't appear that he like sold them on the internet anywhere. There was no piracy scheme. It's still a big question mark that is, as Reeves-Weedman and Lila Shapiro get to in the piece, kind of pointing to maybe he did it just to do it.
1: And for the lulls, just lulls, know, the kids just would to, have said five yeah, years ago. Yeah, just,
2: just to do it, and just for the thrill of having done it. And they open the piece quoting um, a novel that Bernardini uh, wrote when he was a, a high school student. And there are, like, parallels between some of the things that that character says and and perhaps this attitude of, like, I just want to do this to get away with it just to prove that I can. And certainly like that's not new by any stretch in the world of crime. Um, It'll be very interesting to see if any real motive, additional motive, I guess comes of it, the, the piece is really fascinating because it goes like super in depth into both how they tried to get to Bernardini and other encounters that other reporters and folks have had with him people that are former co workers experiences they had with him and sort of like the deep history of this person, they're kind of starting to build a psychological profile of him. Um, but in turn, like if you were hoping we had some like, turns out everybody knows what he was after now. <laughs> nope.
1: More details, less meaning. Uh, mm-hmm. I think is where we ended up here. A really great, shady but generous quote from Jesse Ball at the end. Jesse Ball, <laughs> oh, yes, a, a novelist yeah. I really like. <laughs> I thought uh, so about apparently, you. Jesse Ball was one of the the authors who I guess either had his manuscript nabbed or tried to. And he says, "I hope they don't deal with him too harshly." Uh, Jesse Ball, a novelist who had his manuscript nabbed last year, told me via email. After all, reading so many manuscript PDFs must constitute his <laughs> own special kind of punishment. It is true. He's it's not like, wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. It's like stealing the slush pile is its own special... I mean, this is beyond the slush pile, but it's like, boy, could the stakes be so low? Um, And it's this is one of those things, too, where the world of books and reading and publishing, there's a vocational awe thing that most people talk about with librarians, but there's this whole sub... I don't know, sub-market where the currency is prestige, access, ego, Mm -hmm. recognition, and the terms of that currency are... Floating and difficult to pin down, and I think it's probably a case where he was looking for something that he wasn't getting, and this was the outlet, and it was bad, and it didn't work, but it may be as human and simple and kind of frankly boring and banal is that
2: i i think that's where we're going there are some quotes from instagram posts where he had shared like basically galley brags of books that he was reading pre-publication and like that is definitely a thing that is exciting when you first come into this world um i i think the shine wears off of the access like at least for me, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, we've been doing this, I've been blogging s- for almost 15 years, or I've been. In, it's been 15 years since I started my first blog, um, that it's super exciting and feels very, very fancy when you first have access to early editions of books. And when you're living in the, when, it, when it's the water that you swim in, it's just the water that you swim in, like having this access is just part of life in the industry. And I do get excited when I get to read a new thing, it's more that like I get to read it sooner, not that I get to read it before everyone else does, mm-hmm. but like I want I want that new book in my brain, and the, as soon as I can get it in my brain, great. Um, but it sounds like that was that like sort of status marker of the access yeah. was perhaps important to him and to how he was presenting online. But these things that he stole never appeared. in like he, It doesn't seem that he used them for any sort of it is, it's external like, it's status like play, sneaking which...
1: past the velvet rope and Exclusive Club and then just sitting in the corner in the dark. <laughs> it feels yeah, like, like what's been done. Here.
2: Right, right. He didn't like post an Instagram picture of himself in no. the corner with a celebrity behind him. It's just... Very strange. It, it, yeah, I think you're right in that summary of it's probably just as human and banal as trying to fill some space with something that wasn't available. But yeah. who knows? Who knows? I feel very like I, you could tell me that just about anything is going to turn out to have been what he was trying to do here. Like maybe he wanted to do something nefarious <laughs> with them and he just wasn't very good at it.
1: No. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a bit of the emperor has no clothes where you think, right. you know, publishing is elitist and special and and fancy and if only I could get the crown jewels of publishing, I could right. go fence them. And then you're like, wait a minute. Right. Nobody wants <laughs> no the buyers. manuscript to Jesse Ball's sixth novel that yeah, no one else besides me and my friend Kamali are going to read.
2: It feels a little bit like um, the Isabella Stewart Gardner heist, the like yes. the big open questions behind that, which if you haven't seen, this is a heist on, on Netflix about it. There's also a great podcast about it, but like great works of art stolen no one knows why or where they are and it's been decades and so like somebody has these and either they're just like sitting in their basement and they have them there for the love of being able to go look at the thing or for the thrill of knowing that they did it or maybe they thought they could fence them but it turns out they were impossible to fence because they would have been so recognizable but it it feels like that to me like somebody did something here they pulled he pulled this off at least for a while and yeah it's a, the big question is why And what was the intent? I don't know.
1: We'll see. I mean, why do people shoot deer and put their heads on the wall? People like to collect trophies. And maybe maybe it's something like that. It's like, look at all these manuscripts. I've got the the, the first emailed editor's draft of The Mm, Testaments. Congratulations, by the way.
2: Maybe the the thing this story is missing is like a quote from a person who went on a date with Bernardini and then later was like, yeah, in his apartment, he had these like, he tried to show me these (laughs) manuscripts from Margaret Atwood. (laughs)
1: He showed me all these manuscripts by authors I've never heard of. I mean, like that's
2: the difference about having a hunting trophy on your wall is that somebody else can see it. Like conceivably it might just be there for you. But much in the way that book people use their bookshelves as Mm -hmm. like, you know, identity signifiers, come into my home and behold my bookshelves and determine what kind of person I am.
1: Right. Also I got wordle in three today. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, that's one of
2: the functions that a Mm -hmm. hunting trophy Would serve, and if you just have this, like the secret email folder of stuff that nobody knows you have.
1: Yeah, it's 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 tough to say. But anyway, uh, I will enjoy. I'm now enjoying the meta discourse. Yeah, I want the TikTok. I like this has happened. You see an email that he wrote. It looks like to Lila um, Shapiro Mm -hmm. uh, that she included. It's spicy. Uh, It's very spicy. Uh, Very very spicy. Um, Let's do another sponsor break, and we'll come back.
3: This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's
0: episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloane Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode.
1: Speaking of getting things early um, or looking at things that were coming ahead, we can talk quickly about the results of the winter preview draft. Mm. The closed votes are in. Um, and? And the winner is uh, Jeff took the Senate by enough to confirm judges, but not to be enough to be <laughs> filibuster proof. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
2: Fine. <laughs> what, did you? Was it a particular title you had that? Swung well, people I again told you this, this
1: before. I made a mistake. We're learning here, folks. I'm, I'm just, we're trying to figure. We're trying stuff. We're going to learn the pro. The, the mistake I made. Here, we got a lot more votes than we normally do, which is great. We got like double the number of votes because I think it was easy to do. But I didn't include a text field at the bottom where oh. people could say why. So I'm going to ascribe it to my natural charisma, as rather than any one particular book. I, I think that's really the the Bayesian prior. <laughs> I should bring into this is just assume um, that that's true. Uh, but we learned a lot. And I think uh, we could also say thank you all for, for listening and voting and, and downloading the show. We had a little bit of um, complexity on the back end. Uh, I think at this point, we're, it's, we're comfortable saying that was our last Gumroad experiment for the foreseeable future. But yes. we are noodling about some kind of ongoing bonus content thing. Um, you know. Patreon is not a bad metaphor to think about where we're doing some ongoing content that is in addition to what this is, that's generally available to anyone who wants to subscribe. We've got some ideas that we're thinking about internally, but before we seed any of that, talking about that, we want your feedback on our ideas. Before that, we'd like, what would be interesting to you if you were going to get something that is in addition to our weekly show? What would that look like? All the way from just give me more regular shows, more episodes in the feed, all the way to... I don't know, all the way to things that are not that. Uh, And if you've had a great experience with a subscription service of some kind, we're committed to doing the regular shows like this for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Um, But what else, in addition to that, might be interesting? We'd love to hear, podcast at bookriot.com. So I would imagine that we will do the next preview draft. We got to do it in Mm -hmm. uh, probably March. I mean, we we said through May May 1 is the start of our new mm-hmm. draft-eligible season, right? So yeah.
3: April,
1: 1, April 1-ish, April we might release it or record it a couple weeks before so people can start mm-hmm. pre-ordering yeah, April or May come out. And, and it's a banger well, season, too, the summer. It <laughs> is.
2: Summer is a banger. There's already a couple things for fall that I have my eye mm-hmm. on. It occurred to me, you know, we were talking offline about like when we figure out the final shape of whatever this bonus thing is that we're going to do, we might do some benchmarks of like if we get to this many members of this yes. thing or subscribers to it or, or whatever, we'll unlock additional access. And I just want to say, if you are still on team Lonesome Dove Read Along, oh. this might be the way to get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's going to we uh, uh, We've like... recorded all of them already. We just haven't decided what to do with all those shows. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're just in the can sitting there.
2: They're just sitting there. I read Lonesome Dove oh. like a year and a half ago, and we just that's didn't right. tell anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what to do with forty-eight episodes, uh, forty-eight hour <laughs> long episodes about L- Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I mean, it's a real, it's a real conundrum.
2: Other than just enjoy the gentle lull of my voice talking for forty-eight hours, that's totally yeah. normal.
1: Horses are great. Episode. 9.
2: horses um, are great. <laughs> you know what I would be willing to do for forty-eight hours is imagine Louise Glick in therapy talking about tomatoes.
1: Tomatoes. These <laughs> these goddamn tomatoes. Doctor Goldblatt. I don't know what to Dr. do. Doctor Goldblatt. Them. <laughs> Louise, have we considered not growing tomatoes? Oh shit!
2: Break. You, you don't even have to garden. <laughs>
1: I, mean, it's I don't even like, live in Massachusetts. It's like a dummy. Like, <laughs> Get me out of here.
2: Did Mary Oliver's therapist tell her, like, you could just not walk in the woods?
1: That's... <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried the world, the road more traveled by? <laughs> more traveled? You know? See, i in the woods writing a lot of poetry by yourself. Get around some other folks. <laughs> okay. um, But we've got, you know, so all kinds of things. We're interested, you know, you know the kinds of formats we've done already. You want more of those. You want fewer of those. Mm -hmm. We haven't done a deals, deals, deals in a while. My deals, now this is not a joke. As opposed to the Lonesome Dove forty eight episode one that is totally not a joke. This one is definitely not a joke. Mm -hmm. I've got a list of deals, deals, deals. Some of them are now starting to come out. It's been so long since we've done them before. Did you see your boy Gary Steingart? He's got a new book that I guess the Country House did well enough. He's doing one in the same vein. We didn't talk about
3: that on the show? No, no.
1: I'm not talking didn't. to you. That's the, the exciting. listening have no idea what we're talking
2: about. The people Gary listening Steingart's to us listen to us like. talk to each other all the time. Man,
1: <laughs> but you like The Country House by Gary Steingart, yes, which came out in the end of the year. And I've been meaning to read it. And it kind of got lost a little bit. But sure. the people who read it seemed to like it. It was and fun. And it's going to come out in spring 2023 for just a year okay. from now, which in publishing terms is like tomorrow. Um, yeah. So that was cool. But I've got other stuff like that that we could do, blah, 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 blah.
2: Yeah, some well, so we've got yeah, we got the deals, deals, deals. We could do some more movie-watching stuff mm-hmm. together. Lots of I think Front List Corner could go into yeah. that spot. or I just think we're going to get to that today. I had
1: a, a hell of a week oh, did you? Week this week, but I don't think we did would, a lot of readings. I don't
2: week. have a whole lot of updates, so maybe we can we balance each other out for Shared a Shared Wheelhouse week. real quick, minute. though. I listened yeah. to
1: The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink. Daniel How was that? mm mm-hmm. It's almost exactly what you think, A Power Regret Book by Daniel. Now, that's <laughs> that sounds like shade, and it sort of is, but it totally isn't. You know why, Rebecca? Because he's pretty good. Daniel yeah, Dan- pretty good. he's
2: good at what he does, yep.
1: Good is what he does. And what he does is a take uh, fairly banal-sounding ideas and then tease them out. My favorite thing that he did... Is started, I think it's called the American Regret Project, which really sounds like (laughs) something out of like a uh, Charlie Kaufman script.
2: It truly does.
1: (laughs) Where he had, he and a group of people, I mean, he makes a ton of money, and this might have been part of how he used his advance or coming off some of the other business books that he's written before, but basically set up a website where people could come and give, tell him, submit anonymously their biggest regrets. Oh. And then he analyzed them and tried to schematize them and, you know, say... It's in, the, it's in the genre of why bad things are actually good. Okay. And the other, the other version of that is why good things are actually bad. But yep. This is one of those why bad things are actually good or why things you think is. And I don't think I learned anything specific. It's like it's okay to have regrets because that means you did something wrong and we all do something wrong. And also yeah. it helps you, you not do things. that thing in the yeah. future. Um, but the American Regret Project is an amazing Idea. That sounds fascinating. But I also learned about something called the regret lottery, which is a which is a which is a scheme to get more respondents to things. So I, the example he oh. gave was, I think it was Duke University libraries um was was wanted to have all the students take a survey about library services to try to improve their services, right? Mm-hmm. And their first attempt was if you if you enter the survey, you'll be entered for a chance to win A big ball of Duke, right? Whatever the Duke thing (laughs) Uh they wanted to give. A blue devil. You want a blue devil. A live blue devil. And they didn't get that many um, responses. So what they did next time is said, you're all automatically entered. But if we pull your name and you haven't completed the survey, we'll pull out the next person. And they quadrupled the response rate because people cast into the future Uh the moment where their name was pulled and they won. But because we're all dumb and lazy... They hadn't done the survey, and the idea of that, <laughs> avoiding that pain, was more attractive than merely the pleasure of possibly winning
2: Oh, it. somewhere the spirit of Daniel Kahneman yeah. is very proud of is all that, of that.
1: Yeah, I guess it must be a Kahnemanian, Kahnemanian, Kahnemaniac, that's definitely what the adjective uh,
2: Yeah, that's Kahneman what we is. are, that's our secret fan club, the Kahnemaniacs. <laughs>
1: Uh, So I thought you would like that the regret lottery was a particularly fascinating (laughs)
2: idea. I I do. I really like that. Um, I haven't even... It's so frontless that I haven't even started it yet, but I just heard... Johan Hari or Harari? I think I'm confusing. Oh, Yuval. Yuval. No, it's not Yuval. It's Johan Hari, who I am getting his name confused with Yuval Noah Harari. Oh, Um, I'm sorry.
1: I tried to correct you in the wrong way. Two different people. It's it's two two guys. Two
2: different people. Um, On Ezra Kleinstow talking about his book, Stolen Focus. And it feels like Uh. it will be adjacent to the um, Oliver Berkman school of thought, but his. His statement is that our currency isn't our time, it's our attention. And not in in the same way as like put all of your technology away. I'm not quite in the Jenny Odell, like Hmm. go observe the nature around you and refine your attention way. But I like thinking about attention. I think I'm going to listen or read it. I was going to drop you the link because that feels interesting. Yeah, I'm interested in that too. Yeah.
1: A couple other front list um, debuts I read this week. I read uh, The Family Chow uh, by Lan Samantha Chang, which Mm. is about a family of Chinese Americans in the upper Midwest who run a uh, uh, Chinese food store. And it's a family drama. It's kind of a mess, but I liked it. It's all Hmm. over the place and wild stuff happens. I, st- I just finished that um, I think yesterday yeah. morning I'm still digesting that and I finished black cake by <gasps> I read, you did? You read black cake I Wilkerson. read it it was I'm like about to say I Henderson. read it
2: I think over the holiday break ah. and so I had forgotten it by the time we started doing front list
1: corner <laughs> yes yeah I, which I which I thought also was kind of a mess but also good I mean they, this is, mm-hmm. that one is more of a classic debut um the family chang i think was maybe a little more ambitious than it could quite hold a lot of stuff going mm. on um but i was I, I thought black cake it tried to do so much yes. and a lot of it was yeah. very good but maybe a little bit less but it was good mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it
2: that. was good i thought i was whelmed by black cake yep
1: um, and i'm finishing the 90s probably by tomorrow by the way oh great how
2: are you liking that so tomorrow.
1: far it's fantastic i think in the future, we need, to, we need to get our heads screwed on straight. Because what I have like to done... Here's a content piece we could think about. Talking about bits we're not going to do. Unlike the <laughs> Lumps of Dumb podcast, which we did. This would be in which we talk about the ideas for bits we could have done but are not uh-huh. going to do. And maybe Great. just talking about the bit is more interesting. I would like to rank the Klosterman essays in that. Yes. By sort yes. of like... And mm-hmm. we could rank them by anything we wanted to. I was thinking about how... 90s of a topic it was, or how close to the center of that topic you were, because, mm. for example, the Nirvana stuff was me. I mean that that to me, I've said before that yeah. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit came out when I was four. I think when I was thirteen, the fall of '91, when I was thirteen and a half, was like a communication from space. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it felt like that to me, and and that's how I was. And then there was other stuff that I know is very nineties, but I was pretty far like weirdly, I was not an X Files person. And actually Fosterman oh, doesn't yeah, spend a either. lot of time mm-hmm. on the X Files. But that's one that I really wasn't participating in. And then um stuff like Google coming on board, as I said on the mm-hmm. show before, I was sitting in a seat that was Googled to death when I worked at KU Info, basically being the internet the yeah. human internet at the end of the phone, and then like slowly watching google be more useful to us and then other people starting um to do it i'm not i'm not all the way done and there's a couple of things that aren't he hasn't talked about yes because we can also then do a power ranking of 90s things that if we got five more essays what would we pick klosterman <laughs> to write about so we could do, well you
2: know he didn't write about counting crows so i'm already mad at him and he, he didn't, didn't mention about- the most
1: important band of the 90s <laughs> uh hootie and the blowfish <laughs> I mean, if that's what you want
2: to hang your hat on, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know what? Counting
1: Crows think- wasn't counting the number of records they sold mo- more than Hootie and the Blowfish. They and did not need to count those because they did not exist.
2: He did. I thought he did great work about Tupac and Biggie and the rise yes. of so like the East Coast, West Coast, the origins of that sort of rap um, rivalry. I would have liked to see him acknowledge Lauren Hill, who was like so...
1: Oh, doesn't see that's on my list because he doesn't do that because I still have yeah. a few hours left, so I don't know if that comes in. Yeah.
2: I If he, so. he might have mentioned her because it's been now long enough since I mm. read it that I don't remember all the details, but she was so ascendant. That album was so peak for the 90s but Joan Morgan wrote a whole book about it. like I don't really need Chuck Klosterman's thoughts about Lauren Hill cuz we yeah. got Joan Morgan's thoughts about Lauren Hill. I thought he was um,
1: unbelievable but... on Garth by the way. Did you think yes! he was unbelievable on I Garth?
2: I loved the Garth. Cha- I'm delighted that you're reading this so cuz mm-hmm. I almost texted you like entire paragraphs of the Garth <laughs> chapter. Yes. Yeah, that was really fascinating. Um I just read Tell Me Everything by Erica Krauss, which uh, I think I might have mentioned on the show last week. It was one I of think your I think I mentioned picks. it as an honorable
1: mention on the draft, if people didn't. Yes. Do, for those who men- didn't listen, I think it was something I almost picked.
2: You so. mentioned it on the draft. She sort of like, by surprise, gets tapped by a lawyer to become a private investigator but mainly because she is one of those people that strangers just tell all their stories to and he discovered this because he met her in a barnes and noble on, like they were looking at the same thing on the on some aisle and he started telling his whole life story to her and she was like yeah this happens to me all the time and he was like well then you should come work for me and be a private investigator i need somebody that people can talk to um, it was the early 2000s in colorado and he was investigating um what appeared to be a systemic rape culture in the football department at one of the universities and was trying to make a title nine case of it, which would have been a really big mm. deal in the way that those crimes were approached uh, in the, in the early two thousands. So she, like, she knows that she should turn this down because she has a history of child sexual abuse that she has not like fully dealt with at the time. And she knows that it might taint her approach to it, but she's so, called to like how interesting that work might be and just the appeal of getting to be part of something that important. And the book is both about how she learns the work of being a private investigator of getting strangers to talk to her about something that they really don't want to talk about. And also her own personal work over those like five years that she worked with this on this case of starting to make sense of the experience that she had had as a child, what it had done to her and to her family. And it's sort of parallel narratives of as she moves mm. through doing it was I thought it was fascinating like I'm looking I'm the going most, to listen
1: to that when it yeah out the, I'm most, to that. There's no the most the most
2: interesting things were just the techniques about like I sat across from this type of person and this is the kind of question that I would ask them or someone would do this and it was it would tell me that I needed to interact with them in this kind of way to get what it was fascinating I really liked that um and I'm in the middle of an anthology called "Anonymous Sex." I by- was going to ask <laughs> you
1: about this, but I didn't want to tell the people what this is.
2: It's an anthology curated by Hillary Jordan, who we haven't heard from in a while.
1: Yeah, and she did the Cinderella retelling stuff a while
2: ago. Uh, that her? No, she did the uh, um, uh, she did Mudbound, and then she did the like. Scarlet lettery sort of letter, yes. Yes. Um, almost Cinderella. Uh <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, Freudian slips. <laughs> so it,
2: the it's Freudian a, The slippers anthology is is Cinderella <laughs> joke to me. <make>. Freudian slippers <laughs> is a hell of Amazing. a show title. <laughs> uh, so she along with Cheryl Lou Tian Tan, um or, sorry, Lou Liantan, Tan, um, edited this anthology of I think the prompt that they gave to the writers was, mm-hmm. you c- write some erotica and your name will not be on it. And like, that's basically it. So the front of the book has the alphabetical listing of all of the contributors' names. And then it has this collection. And so it in a lot of ways, it feels like any other anthology that you read where like some pieces are good and some pieces are not good and some are the genre that you enjoy and some are not and it spans all like people's interpretations of what erotica was are really varied um it's probably even more of an anthology type experience because it's like erotica is such a personal preference sort of reading um it's the most interesting thing about it is that you can't tell who these
1: people yeah, are yeah i was i but, that's what i this is the kind of book i'm never going to read but like yeah the- the packaging i found fascinating
2: yes the pa- the packaging is fascinating a couple of friends had mentioned it i mainly wanted to read it so that i could know <laughs> if it was like worth being excited about i'm i think that i would be happier just reading a collection of pieces that I knew were by writers that I was going to like or enjoy like to me the best part of an anthology is discovering some writer that I had not encountered before and then being able to go and like track down the rest of their essays or the rest of their short stories or whatever the thing is so it's fine as a reading experience if you want to read a 300 page work of erotica the uh, satisfaction is a weird word to use around that the the enjoyment per page of like the reading experience is really variable because some of these are like stories that I think are great and interesting. And some of them are things that I'm like from the second paragraph. Oh, this is not something I'm going to care about. Let me skip to the next one. Um, but I think it's a really interesting premise. I like yes. the idea. Like, I, I think we all kind of have some stories that we're like, this would be a great story to tell, but I can't do it until everyone I love is dead. And I like the idea. And I am of, dead.
1: And <laughs> all right? <of> it. yeah, <laughs> Can we pull an Atwood and bury it in a Norwegian tree or something like that and they can can chop (laughs) it out? You
2: you get to know that you got that story out of yourself, but then you're dead before anyone encounters it. Uh, So I think it's a cool premise to tap writers and give them freedom and space to tell the kinds of stories that they want to tell that they might feel like they can't because of whatever the brand of their literary name means in mm-hmm. the world. And a lot of these are folks who like have one sort of highbrow literary awards and that you wouldn't expect to be appearing in an anthology of erotica. So that's super interesting. Really the world I want to live in is a world that says, yes, you can be a Pulitzer prize winner and you can write an erotic story with your name on it. And let us be interested in that, like sort of all the multitudes of a writer. Um, I don't know. I have a lot more thoughts about the shape of the thing than I do about the content of it.
1: Yeah. Also, in a piece of content about making content that we'll never make, it would be an interest. If there was something like this, I will never read this because this is no. not for me. No. I did pitch this, actually, the same context, uh, concept to a publisher. I called it the American mm. Regret Project, though, but the name was taken, <laughs> unfortunately. Um <laughs> Uh, a fun game for something like this would be to read all the stories that are anonymous and then try to match them and like yes, do a show where you're fun. trying to match mm-hmm. them, but it has to be something definitely not this for, for me, uh, yeah. to happen. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think that's our show this week.
2: Feels
1: yeah, like we a podcast. We can get to some of their stuff. Feels like a podcast. You can email us podcast at bookriot.com, uh, show notes, Com slash listen. Go check out the merch. There's a link in the show notes as well there um adaptation nation there's one more in this planned season probably going to come to an end the experiment is and we're we're thinking just to fold that back into this show is fun to have in its own feed and we're testing out the platform um our new podcast platform that we are moving to here the final one in the dedicated adaptation nation series uh sharif and i are recording on monday it's the color purple 40 Mm -hmm. years ago the color purple was published and then the movie, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, came out in 1985. Sharif and I were talking about it a little bit this morning. We've got a lot to say. I th- I think as a teaser, the thing that struck me the most is a couple – well, the couple of things that struck us the most that we're going to talk about. One is um, it feels very contemporary, the book. Mm. It doesn't feel – it feels like it could come out today and people are like, wow, this is a thing. Oh, that's uh, great. Also, that it was popular in 1982, a much different world in 1982, especially mm. where it comes around representations of sexuality, sexual trauma, black people, black people doing things. Also that the movie was directed by Steven Spielberg. And apparently no one thought anything of that then, (laughs) that Steven Spielberg was directing Color Purple. We'd not have that conversation today. I think Mm -hmm. the conversation would go very Mm -hmm. differently. Um, On the other hand, there weren't a lot of black directors working in mainstream Hollywood movies. So there wasn't a lot of like, well, it could have been this person. And that's not an excuse or anything for Spielberg. It's just that's how different the world was, that people, at least in a mainstream conversation, I'm sure, I'm sure there were people saying, Spielberg really is going to do this. But it was just so different of a world and how we thought about who's adapting what and who has the voice and the authority or the insight or really the cultural sensitivity to do something like this. Well, also that Oprah and Whoopi were the two leads in this is also fascinating. Uh-huh. Um, and then it's also, there's a musical that's being made into a movie. So we're kind of anticipating that The Color Purple is going to have another moment here um, before too long. And it, the thing, re- another thing re- ringing in my head is when we talked to Cree Miles and we said, you know, our, our shared number one draft pick for greatest American living novelist is Whitehead. And she was like, I, I'm shocked it wasn't Walker. And I've mm-hmm. been thinking about that. The other thing that's surprising is just think to yourself, listener, right now. Name Alice Walker's second most famous book. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going we're gonna to wrestle with all that. Really looking forward um, to that. So you can hear that probably come out, um, be released in the Adaptation Nation feed middle of next week. I stepped on a lot of the show, but you know what? It's Friday afternoon. What are we going to do? <laughs> and you could, I think I said last week, can hear Amanda, Rebecca, and I give a bravura performance. Really, you two more than me uh, on Gone Girl. Yeah that
2: was fun that was such a fun one to do and I got texts from a few friends who were like that was kind of spicy <laughs>
1: Hard so, not to be spicy about Gone yeah, how like, What can are you going to do? Yeah it, was, yeah, it
2: wasn't critical, but I think it was more people who know me and know Amanda being like, exactly how spicy is the Gone Girl conversation going to be? And it was like, oh, yeah, that, you, you guys went there. And I feel good about that. Mm. I think we did.
1: Yeah, it's, it's good. It was a good episode. <laughs> uh, but looking forward to um, recording that. Go give it a listen and shoot us an email. What kind of features and benefits of some sort of ongoing sponsored membership thing? Would be interesting um, as a listener and someone proves them who really likes this show. Rebecca, thank you so much. Yes. We'll talk to you next time.
2: Have a good one.